Hello and welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. This episode, we're going to talk about the iPad mini, the big review that went up on Apple Insider. iPhone 13 thoughts, we now have them in hand. I also want to touch on some focus modes and more extensions for iOS and iPadOS. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Masterclass. You'll hear about them in a moment. And joining me to talk about all things iPad and iPhone 13, my friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Pretty good, Stephen. I saw your uh, iPad mini review. It was really good. Thank you, sir. It was a lot of fun doing it. And so let's jump into it. Did you also get an iPad mini? Yes, uh, I got the 256 gig uh gray model okay yes i also got the 256 gig after you convinced me on twitter uh, it was not a hard convincing i bought the 64 gigabytes initially right after the event ended because they went up for sale immediately and then you were like how are you gonna live with 64 gigabytes and so i immediately doubted my my choice and i got the 256 so got the 256 here in the starlight color i do like the starlight so i will put a link to the review i did a video review and a written review of the ipad mini i don't know tell me your overall thoughts wes because we'll talk about everything in depth but You've had it since Friday. You got it on Friday, right? Yes, I got it on a release day. So I've had it about a week now. Yeah, thanks for rubbing it in because I missed my delivery date. I don't know if our listeners saw that on Twitter, but... That's what you get for leaving the house. I know. I knew I knew it was going to happen. For some reason, I thought it wasn't going to require a signature and they would just leave it at the doorstep, which apparently with UPS here in the States, you can go online and say that. You can say don't require a signature and they could just leave your thousands of dollars of devices on your doorstep for you. And I didn't do that. And I, I missed it. So I missed it. I literally drove to a UPS store, tried bribing people. I said, just tell me where the truck is. I will drive to the truck and they wouldn't do it. So I actually had to get it on Monday. Definitely got it late. So it was the first time, this is a very silly thing. This is a very first world problem. It was the first time I did not get the new iPhone on release day in like seven years. And so I broke my streak, Wes. Oh, that's just too bad. Next year, you'll buckle down, not leave the house, lock all the doors and windows. Well, now now I used to go in person to pick stuff up on launch day. I would go to the Apple store. I would do the set of reservation time for 8 a.m. And I would do that because you're not going to miss that. And you can trade in your phone right there in the store. I don't know. I might go back to that next year. But anyway, iPad mini. I really like this thing. I have lots of thoughts. Tell me, what has your been experience with it for the past week or so? I've definitely enjoyed using it. Um, I like the fact that it is pocketable, basically, like um, generally around the house. Yes. I wear loose uh, gym shorts and stuff, so it's perfect size for my pockets. Like how the content's presented on it. It's definitely a vertical iPad, I believe. Like, uh, yes, it's just good for reading, good for uh consuming content, gaming, basically the exact opposite of what I use the iPad Pro for. So <laughs> pretty, pretty cool. Exactly. Now, have you ever had an iPad mini before? Yes. I I, I had the two iPad lifestyle back. Before it was cool? <laughs> yeah. Well, about, about the same time it was cool, actually. Okay, I, I got okay. convinced uh, the same time as the Mac Stories guys were going around bragging about it. And I said, you know, that sounds interesting. I want to try that out. So about the time I got this job, maybe a month before I got an iPad mini, and it actually was a lifesaver because when you you work from an iPad, you can't keep apps in the foreground unless they're on the screen. Uh, one of the things I used the iPad mini and then eventually the iPad Air and now the iPad mini again, one of the things I use it for for work is keeping Slack open because uh, that green status dot tells people that you're actually at work and there's no way to enable that unless the app is open. So right. it definitely comes in handy for stuff like that. Always been used as a second screen device for me anyway. Right. Now, I've never had an iPad mini before. This is my first one. I was an 11-inch iPad Pro user for the last three years since the first one, 2018. Then I now have the 12.9-inch iPad Pro. That was my first really big one. And I, I love it, the screen, because it has the XDR mini LED screen is incredible. But having used that since May of this year, now having the iPad mini, the small size, the lightweight the ultra portability, I do, I love this form factor, just the physical device, the hardware, you know, has the same design as the Pro in the Air, but having it in this size, it's just fun. Like it's fun to use. It's fun to hold because it's so much lighter than the 12.9 inch iPad Pro. It's just such a significant difference. I do have to know, Wes, I had to increase the text size and app icon size when I first turned it on because the pixel density is so high that all the text and icons appear smaller on this screen than they do on like the iPad Pro. So are you still rocking that tiny, tiny text size or did you up that 
text size? Well, I actually kept the standard text. Uh, it's tempting, especially with the per app uh, text things. Um, generally, on things like Apollo and the, uh, other apps like uh, Twitter, I'll up the text size in those apps anyway. But um, on the home screen and stuff, I'm not too worried about it. I don't want it to create any weird issues. Apple designs for base settings. And uh, yeah, sometimes you'll get that ellipsis in places it shouldn't be if your text is any bigger. So I just right. don't want to mess with that. My eyes are good enough. I'm not really worried about it. I will suggest. There is the dynamic text size setting in the settings app, display and brightness. You can go to text size there. But if you only want to increase text size in certain apps, like I did this just for Twitter specifically, you can go to settings, go to accessibility. And then if you scroll all the way down in the accessibility menu, there's a section called per app settings. And if you go there, you can add a specific app like Twitter, and you can choose bold text, larger text, button, like all the different accessibility settings that are usually system-wide, you can now change on that per app basis. So if you just find one app to be a little too small for text, but you don't wanna increase the text size across the entire device, go to that settings, accessibility, per app settings, and then you can change the text size just for that app. So really useful, I think, on this device specifically. Steven, I, I'm, I'm going to blow your mind unless you already know about this, oh, but oh boy. the okay. text size control is a control center widget. Okay. So I had heard about- it's much easier. I had heard about that, but I could not find it in the control center settings thing. So where do I go to like enable that? Well, first you put on your old man glasses. Thank you. Let me get the control center widgets. Yep. Okay. Scroll to the bottom and it's there. Text size. Now, oh, I don't know if you already have to have- I see it. Yeah. I think it appears by default. I've the same thing for the hearing settings for like the background noise. I don't think you have to have the accessibility settings on first, but I, I may be wrong, but they, they did appear in my control center settings. Having this talk on you don't have to do all that setting stuff you just yes. go to control center when you have an app open and select for just a specific app adjust the slider and you're good to go this is brilliant i had heard about there was a rumor a voice in the wind about this control center app for some reason i went to settings and control center on my ipad mini maybe it's because the text was so small i couldn't read it but i could not find it yeah i did have to just add it now like hit the little green plus icon to add it to control center but yes now this has uh, changed my life. I will, you can adjust text size for all apps for home screen only, which is pretty cool, or for a specific app when you're in the app. So if you have Twitter open on the screen, you swipe to control center, hit this control center widget, you can change the text size just for that app from the control center. Brilliant. This is something I want to look into because there are apps that have adjustable text size within the app settings. And I wonder if the developer targets this API and you're adjusting basically the same setting or if you're doing both. So like if I already have increased text on in say the drafts app, and then I use Apple's thing, is it going to multiply it even bigger? Something I'm going to have to try out, but keep that in mind. If you already have text settings elsewhere, you might end up breaking something or accidentally making your text huge. So <laughs> that is true. Let's talk about the screen on the iPad mini. First of all, it has the highest pixel density of any iPad. It's got 326 PPI pixels per inch, as opposed to I think it's 254 on the other iPads. So everything is very sharp. You know, resolution is great. It does not have ProMotion, which 80% of the time I don't miss. Now that there's ProMotion on my phone and my big iPad Pro, I do notice it, especially like closing an app and going back to the home screen or scrolling in Safari. Like I notice it every once in a while. It does not bother me. And what also doesn't bother me is the jelly scroll. And in the video review, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I did a slow-mo video of both the iPad mini and the 12.9 inch iPad Pro with ProMotion. And what's interesting is you can find jelly scroll both places. Even the big iPad Pro, if you slow the video down enough, there's a tiny bit of that jelly scroll effect, which means one side of the screen, especially in portrait mode, refreshes a little faster. So if you really look for it, you'll see one side of the screen move before the other. And you get this little like rubber pencil look between text or across like albums if you're in Apple Music or photos or whatever. But even though it's there, first of all, it's on like even the big iPad with a ProMotion display. It's just a little more noticeable on the mini, but overall does not bother me. I don't think like 98% of people will it bother unless you specifically look for it all the time. And if I'm just using my iPad like normal, I'm not looking for it. And so it doesn't bother me. 
Have, have you had any experience with that? I I don't. I generally just don't notice. Um, I'm I'm viewing the content. I'm not really looking behind the content, trying to trying to find all the how the pixels are firing or anything. I'm, I've never been one of those. Like uh, I think I described it previously on the show. I'll I'll be playing a video game and someone's like, "Oh, the the frames just dipped to 40." I'm just like, "What? <laughs> like, do you have a meter held up to the screen? Like, right. I am aware that frames do drop in certain circumstances, like uh, high intensity tasks and stuff. But it's just interesting to me that people." People can notice it so easily i've just never been one of those people and yes while i notice like 120 frames for sure the the buttery smooth scrolling and the unlock gesture on iphone is just crazy with that um yes. refresh rate but it's been pointed out elsewhere this is a normal thing it's existed um in lcd tech forever just because it's how the screen refreshes right an extreme example of this and this is an lcd yes i know just bear with me uh go look at an old crt tv like through a video camera and you can see the scan lines moving top to bottom right right this is the same thing happening on an ipad just much faster the ipad's lcd is arranged uh in portrait orientation funny enough so it's going top to bottom when it's held in that mode but of course when you're holding it that way it's much less noticeable because content is scrolling all at the same time you're basically refreshing each horizontal line of pixels at the same time so none of the content looks like it's out of whack but turn it on its side and that scan line is still moving across the wider portion of the ipad but now the content is the perpendicular to that motion so content on the left is going to refresh earlier than content on the right so if you look at this through a slow motion camera of course you're going to see content updating on the left side ever so slightly before the right side and that's where that jelly effect comes from and that's just how it works there's no escaping it apple of course just came out and said yeah we're we can't break the laws of physics here unless we use a different display technology this is just what happens right i've seen people say that the jelly effect is more pronounced on the ipad mini i don't i don't really buy it i just it's just an effect we're looking for it now because we're really tuned in to this 120 hertz display tech and increasing the refresh rate guess what makes it refresh faster those scan lines move faster you're not going to see it as easily you'll need an even faster slow motion camera to capture it so that's why it is present on the ipad pro but it's much harder to catch whereas it's not on the iphone 13 at all because that's oled technology and it's not using the same kind of refresh so yeah very true so it, it has not bothered me I did you have to get used to using Touch ID over Face ID. Having Face ID on the iPad Pro for so long, you know, you just tap the screen or hit the space bar on the Magic Keyboard and it unlocks automatically. There's been a couple of times where I'm kind of staring at the mini like, what are you waiting for? And then it's like, oh, right, I got to put my finger on the button. But you get used to it. The same thing happened to me when I moved to the iPad Air. Right. So- because, I mean, when I had the iPad mini before, it had a home button. It just made sense. Here's where my thumb goes. Let's go. And uh, once I got the iPad Air to replace that, yes, it was just like, what's happening? It's a full screen display iPad. Obviously, I'm waiting for my face to unlock it. And that's just not the case. Right. I, I will say moving from the iPad Air to the iPad mini is interesting. Like, I think I just really like this form factor because yeah. while the 11-inch iPad is nice to hold, it, it does feel really good in the hand and it, it's a good reading tablet on its own, it's still just heavy enough that when you're even when you're laying down or something and you're holding it up in the air your wrist and your fingers start getting that tension right very quickly um, yeah. and you'll have to switch hands and switch you know just that that shuffle on the iphone 13 even though it's a smaller display it's top heavy yeah that camera module on that pro max especially weighs that thing Huge. down so when you're holding it in your hand the weight of that iphone is going to feel even heavier and it's going to put that tension on your fingers as well uh, and i've noticed that with the ipad mini with it being basically a perfect record rectangle with no uh with it being pretty much balanced it's just much easier to hold in the hand even than the lighter smaller iphone it's just a very interesting device that way exactly and so as you were saying that hand tension i'm excited i'm going to be editing this episode that you're listening to right now listener on the ipad mini and when i edit on my big ipad the 12.9 inch i definitely feel that hand tension pretty quickly and so i'll do this weird show because i'm editing with the apple pencil i'm holding the ipad in my hands i'm not using the magic keyboard i don't like doing it on a desk because then i feel like i have to hunch over so i hold the ipad as i edit all these podcasts and my left hand which is holding it gets that tension like it, it feels like i'm getting rsi or whatever as i'm holding it so i'll go from grasping it on the side of the screen and leaning on my leg to sometimes like putting my hand 
end all the way in the middle back of the iPad Pro to kind of stabilize it that way. I also have to constantly shift. So I'm very interested to see what it's like with a full podcast editing session on the iPad mini. I'll report back next week because I'm literally editing this right now on the mini. There have been some valid complaints on the iPad mini. I just wanted to point out that, again, it's not a deal breaker, but it is interesting that Apple shipped the iPad mini without any real developer support or support from its own self. Uh, If you look at the iPad home screen right now, there's a lot of blank space on the edges. Basically, it's using an old, like closer to iPhone almost aspect ratio inside of the iPad screen and putting black bars on the edges. Yes. Which is crazy. Like I saw someone basically swipe over and show that you could pretty much fit an entire other single widget in that black space on the edge. So hopefully Apple updates iPad OS so it supports the iPad mini size better and maybe spreads the content out more or gives us, you know, better use of that pixel density. Because again, like a lot of this stuff is very small. You mentioned in your review, if you stack enough icons in the um, dock, oh they basically goodness. disappear. They turn into just <laughs> pixel sized targets that you have to try and touch. They're so tiny in portrait mode. I actually found myself unable to tap the icon I wanted on the first try. If I had that dock loaded up with 16 app icons across, I would always mistap. Now, Steven, of course, Apple would tell you that the Apple Pencil can tap an exact pixel target. So sure. instead of using your fat, fleshy fingers, <laughs> Apple will let, would like you to use their $129 stylus. Sure, sure. And listen, hey, Pencil is great for it. You know, it's fun putting the pencil on the side and seeing it's like the full length of the iPad mini. But yeah, I would not put 16 icons in the dock for sure. I do hope Apple updates it to take more advantage of the screen real estate. I find with widgets, Rotating from portrait to landscape, the widget location seems totally unpredictable. Like I, when I set up a home screen, like on my iPad Pro, I like having widgets on the left. So like a, you know, a full column of widgets on the left. Some are smart rotating and smart stacks. Then I app icons on the right. When I do that on the iPad mini, I can put widgets on the left and then two columns of app icons on the right. When you rotate it into landscape, it feels like those widgets fly everywhere. Like I don't know where those widgets are going to end up when I go to landscape. And for that reason, I don't like filling up the home screen. I'm going to change your life again. Did you not hear that in iPad OS 15, the arrangement of widgets and icons on the home screen is independent of each orientation. So you can actually set up a landscape orientation and then rotate your iPad and then rearrange them again and it will remember each setting. Wait a minute. Okay. I'm (laughs) testing this now. Oh my goodness. So I just tested that with just an app icon arrangement. Like I have settings app and ferrite, ferrite on the left, settings on the right in the portrait orientation of the iPad mini. And in landscape, I rearrange them where settings on the left, ferrites on the right. And it retains it. What in the world? I did not. Yeah, you blew my mind again. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting tidbit that's come out in the last week. It just snuck in some news, but yeah, definitely something to keep in mind now that basically the home screen remembers whatever arrangement. Now that can be very jarring if you just com- go with completely different arrangements because it kind of blinks out and blinks back in, but you don't really generally notice it too much in daily use. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> that's pretty awesome actually. Okay. So my final thought on the iPad mini, again, I-, I encourage everyone, I'll link to my written review and video review if you want to read more details. But when it comes to who should get the mini, you know, Wes and I, we're both living that double iPad life. You know, we both have a 12.9 inch iPad Pro and now we both have a mini. If it's someone who is just buying their one iPad to rule them all, like you're going to own one iPad and it's going to be the one iPad you use to do any kind of tablet things and you maybe want to use it for productivity with a magic keyboard and stuff like that. I feel like if you're going to buy one size of iPad, that 11 inch, whether you go with the iPad Air or iPad Pro, might be a better single iPad device as opposed to just having the mini. How do you feel about that, Wes? I I agree. If you already have any kind of portable device, be it an iPad Pro or a MacBook or anything like that, iPad mini is definitely the choice for like, I need something I want to fit in my pocket. But if you're one of those rare people who just don't have any computing devices in their life besides their phone and they want a secondary device, they might feel a little let down by the iPad mini just because it is a good pocketable portable device, but you already have that in your iPhone. And if you have no other alternative to the iPad mini, you're basically not getting as many trades 
trade-offs as you might if you, you know, have a larger computer at home and then this portable computer in your pocket. Now, if you have an iMac or something, that's a different story, but I, I still think that this is a good secondary device. I, I wouldn't really recommend this for anyone to be a primary device unless you're just one of those rare computer users that, uh, well, I wouldn't say rare, but like uh, one of those computer users who rarely use a computer for uh, anything beyond paying bills, reading books, or maybe playing the occasional game. And that and that's where the iPad mini fits in. Like my mother, who's 67 years old and learned how to use an iPhone and is still figuring it out to this day, even though she's had it for five years, just will tell me like, I figured out how to uh, rearrange my apps. It's just like, thank, good job, mom. I'm glad you're, you know, paying attention. You read our website, but uh, <laughs> uh, the iPad mini would be perfect for her because, you know, her, her site's going and it will let her see things a little bit bigger, but her wrists probably wouldn't want to support a 12.9 inch iPad. So right. there's definitely per individual considerations you have to make. It, it's definitely a good device. Oh no. Yeah. It's a good device. I really enjoy using it. I'm looking forward to editing on it. I will say too, if you're in a work field that you are outside, like, I don't know, I think a marine biologist, or if you're an archaeologist, or if you, you know, drive uh, semi-trucks or, or something like that, where you're in the field, you're traveling a lot, and you want a bigger screen than your iPhone to use in the field. Maybe it's because you're taking notes. Maybe you just need to snap a quick picture outside of something, and you just want a device in the field to use. I do think the iPad mini would be great for that because it's so light and so portable. You can put it in a large pocket or throw it in a bag. The smart folio case, I really like it. I haven't had a smart folio since some, an older iPad. I forget when it was. I've always had the magic keyboards now since they've been out and i forgot how nice it was just to have a very thin folio case around the ipad with a little origami thing to stand it up in a pinch if you wanted to i think for those kinds of use cases maybe it is the one device that's perfect for you where you take handwritten notes you're doing diagrams you take a picture and then mark it up with the apple pencil you know it might be great for those niche use cases and i would love to hear listeners if you are in one of those fields of work or just you have a hobby that you like to do and the ipad mini is kind of the perfect fit for that arena i would love to hear about it you can tweet at wes and myself and we'd love to kind of hear some of those stories about ipad mini usage in the field we need to do a segment about that Stephen, I actually have a perfect example for you from oh. my own life experience. Okay. So when I was in the Navy, the iPad and Apple Pencil was that sort of deal was new. Like the Apple Pencil just debuted and I was still working as an electrician on a ship and I would take my iPad with me to basically make electrical schematics. I could use the camera on the iPad to take photos, uh, circuit boards and keep track of where they are and, la and label them within the drawings using the pencil, stuff like that. Like there was a wide use case uh, for using such a device on a non-classified ship. Of course, I'm sorry if you're in the Navy and you're in the nuclear program like I was, uh, you can't do that. But luckily I got to play around in the conventional field for a couple of years as well. Now, if I was still in the Navy, I would love <laughs> this thing. The iPad mini, it, it would fit perfectly. The Navy um, working uniform has a cargo pocket on the left side, oh. perfect size for this guy. You just slip it right in there. Apple Pencil would fit perfectly in the in the pen pocket, and you can just walk around, take notes. Again, as long as you don't get arrested for uh, being in a classified area with one, you got to be smart. But as long as you're on unclassified ships, uh, as an electrician, this thing would be a godsend. That's cool. Definitely quite amazing. I'd say, you know, that translates to civilian side as well. Electricians, I, I feel like this would just be a good boon just because, again, the camera on it's so good that you can grab pictures of what you're working on. One of the things that we have to do a lot is when you're unwiring something, you need to keep track of what wire goes where when you put it back together. Well, you got this little po pocket camera, take picture, use the pencil, annotate what the wires are. Just a lot of little use cases just in that field. So that's cool. Wanted to throw that one at you. No, that's awesome. All right. Well, let's talk about the iPhone 13 Pro real quick. We actually have them in hand now. We talked about promotion for a moment. I do enjoy having it. Apps need to be updated to support the promotion display. So apps like Twitter and Instagram, you're not going to see the advantage just yet. But like Wes was saying on the startup screen or just the unlock animation as the apps fly in, you definitely notice the smoothness of those things moving. And if you scroll in something like Mail or Safari, the built-in Apple apps, you do notice that smoothness 
from the ProMotion display, and it's it's welcome on the device. If you've been using the iPad Pros um, since they debuted uh, ProMotion, I think you're still going to notice a difference. The, yeah. Just the smallness of the display makes a difference. I think the iPad does a good job uh, using that 120 hertz, but the iPhone, it just really showcases it. Um, yeah. I almost, I put it akin to, I didn't actually get sick, but I put it akin to motion sickness. Like that first time you see the scrolling effect and stuff, you, you have to do a double take and think like, am I seeing this correctly? Like it, right. it almost makes you feel like you're like riding a roller coaster for a minute because you can literally scroll Twitter while you're reading it. Try doing that on anything with 60 frames and you can't do it. The right. words are just gone. Yeah, exactly. So that's obviously the one of the big updates for the 13 Pro. Battery life has improved. I've noticed that a little bit. But the big change is the camera system, especially if you have the smaller size Pro, like I had the 12 Pro, not Max. We did not have sensor shift stabilization last year and some of the other improvements. But now the camera system is exactly the same on the 13 Pro and the 13 Pro Max. You get the sensor shift on the wide angle. Both have the 3X telephoto lens. And so all of those are welcome upgrades. And I will say in my few times using the camera on the 13 Pro, it is really, really good. The camera bump is huge on the 13 Pro compared to the 12 Pro. But, you know, it's one of those things where that's the caveat. If you want good cameras, it needs a lot of physical space in the phone. And so it's big lenses. It takes up almost more than half of the width of the back of that top of the iPhone. And it is heavier, but it looks great. One thing is if you have not tried to do a macro shot with the new 13 Pro, and that is unique to the Pro, not the regular 13, the macro mode on the new 13 Pro is pretty incredible. You can get super close to a subject, either an object or even an animal, an insect, and the macro is just outstanding. It's super sharp, super clear, and it's just a lot of fun to use. I actually recently bought a full macro lens for one of my mirrorless cameras. It was a Lumix S5 camera. I bought the 105 millimeter macro lens and using a macro lens on a camera like that is actually pretty complicated. There's such a wide range of focus that you could go between and it's very tedious to try and find the exact focus point because it's such a shallow depth of field. And once I got the 13 Pro and tried the macro mode on the 13 Pro, I actually returned that lens and I was like, I don't use macro enough to want a dedicated lens for my mirrorless. The macro mode actually on the iPhone 13 Pro is so good that it can serve as it. I didn't actually know how to get it to happen. I, right. I was confused. I thought it was just the ultra wide lens. So I was going to the ultra wide lens waiting for something to happen. I'm like, why can't I get closer to the subject? And I read about it and it turns out um, you don't do anything. You stay in the 1X and get close to a subject. And then the ultra wide lens uses its autofocus engine to do the macro shot, but it's taking it at the 1X scale. So it's actually cropped in 0.5 on the ultra wide lens, but you don't actually select that lens. It's a little confusing. Gotcha. So you can do macro in video mode. The reason why I was thinking it wasn't because I was actually doing my iPad mini review and I was trying to get a macro shot of the top edge where the volume buttons and the touch ID button is. And because it's such a thin edge, I guess, that the phone is trying to focus on, as I bring my iPhone close to that edge, I see it trying to switch back and forth between macro mode and regular. And it kind of keeps going back and forth because the, the edge that I'm focusing on is so small in the frame compared to you know everything else in the background. It's kind of flipping back and forth. And that's why I assumed it was not in video mode. But if you go into video mode in the 13 Pro camera, and you get really close to basically a flat surface or an object on a solid back surface, like I have my Magic Keyboard just on my desk here, you are right. The video mode does flip into macro. It just seems it struggles a little bit on smaller objects in the frame if there's a bunch of other stuff in the frame as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, I believe it is it is definitely a difference like uh, in capabilities as far as how close you can get, how well it focuses, but I, I believe it's still using the same type of feature to, to maintain uh, macro video. So I'll tell you what, listeners, Wes just confirmed on Apple's website, macro does work in video and even slow-mo. And what I've done is I actually did a screen recording of what it does when I was trying to do a macro video of the iPad mini Edge. And so I'll tweet out that little video and link to it in the show notes. And you can kind of see what I was talking about. But to be extremely clear, macro mode is amazing. And it does work in video, apparently. <laughs> it doesn't even work. It does work in slow-mo as well. So very cool. Great on the camera system. I do want to plug coming out Monday, if you're listening to this on Friday or over the weekend, I actually got to do a special interview 
our second one with photographer Austin Mann. He's a travel photographer. He does a review of the iPhone Pro and Pro Max cameras every year at some exotic location. This year he went to Tanzania and he actually came on the show. We did an interview. He talked about his experience with the 13 Pro, Pro Max, macro mode, cinematic mode and video and all that. And he got the camera to do some incredible photos and videos. So that interview is coming out Monday right here in the Apple Insider podcast feed. Be sure to keep an eye out for that. And I also found out that Austin Mann has a specific photographic style that he uses. He had this in the review, but one of the other features now new to the 13 Pro, this is also on the regular 13, but is the photographic styles feature. And if you're in the camera app on your 13 or 13 Pro, if you're in the photo mode, you tap that little arrow at the top and it reveals more settings when you're taking a photo. And there's an icon that looks like some 3D squares kind of in a, in a row. And when you tap that, you can switch to a different photographic style than just the stock neutral style. You have high contrast, warm, cool, vivid, and then you can even tweak those styles further when you choose a style. And Austin Mann, the travel photographer, he's like a pro, he actually uses negative 30 tone plus 15 warmth. And you can choose any photographic style and basically those two values change depending on the style. So you can go to a style. I actually went to the high contrast photographic style, change the settings to match Austin Mann's minus 30 tone plus 15 warmth. And that's how I've been taking pictures with it. And I think I do like how those pictures come out. Have you messed around at all with the uh, photographic styles? I've been defaulting to Apple's uh, neutral tones, but yeah. um, I, I did set up a couple. I like my photos generally warmer. So this this is definitely something I could make use of. It's just one of those things where I like, I don't know the term I could use, but I, I'm I'm an amateur photographer, whatever, like a, a self-trained. Prosumer. Yeah, sure, sure. But uh, so I tend to like fiddling with my photos more. I like editing and post. I like using raw. So this is interesting to me, but I've always been a fan of Apple's very neutral take on photos. They, they've they always went for the most realistic color and representation in a scene. And these photographic styles, they're not just overlaying the image, even like they're adding and changing how the entire camera stack is working to produce a photo. So you can't even change this after you've taken the picture. The photographic style is baked in. Right. So that just, uh, that scares me a little bit. It's something I'm gonna have to play with, find something that I like, uh, maybe for specific situations. This is one of those things where you can have multiple Multiple things set up so you can switch. Uh, so I'm I'm going to have to find you know good ones for night, day, stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's interesting though that they've only given you warmth and tone. I guess it makes sense. For example, if like if you're confused by what this even means, go to um, a store that sells televisions and look at a Samsung TV on display in the market, <laughs> and they will have their tone turned all the way to the highest contrast possible cranked yeah and <laughs> they will have the coolness all the way to the bluest blue possible because that high con that the bright whites and the and the blue color tint for some reason in fluorescent light looks just stunning and beautiful and it will never look like that inside of your house i promise you <laughs> but um that's that's what basically is happening they're they're taking these very base details and cranking it up in a way that makes it appealing and so if you do this like as a photographic concept you can create more unique photos because yeah. I guess it's kind of like what I was listening to John Gruber and the ATP guys have all been talking about it. And it's one of those things where for years now, everyone with an iPhone has been taking iPhone photos and you post it to Instagram and you say, yep, that was taken on an iPhone. That looks like an iPhone picture. And you see a pixel photo and it's like, yeah, that looks like it's a pixel image. And it's because they take on these very specific characteristics. And now with photographic styles, you can kind of, change things into being more unique to yourself. Right. Yeah. And I will say, talking about TVs in a store, maybe people don't do this as much anymore, but I used to work at Circuit City and I worked in the entertainment department where you sell TVs and surround sound systems. And I remember as I would show people the TVs, one of the big selling points was like a Sony LCD TV would have great contrast. Like the blacks would be dark and it was actually a better picture. And then you could adjust the color, you know, saturation or vivid style, however you want after the fact. But the TV itself had the, a better contrast ratio than say like a cheaper Panasonic, whatever. But whatever TV had the colors cranked to like the highest saturation or most vivid or whatever, that's what people were drawn to because it looked like it was the deepest colors and it was the most visually appealing. And they would 
you know, regardless of what I would say as the as the Circuit City employee, they would just go for the most vivid looking color image that they could see on the huge wall of the TVs. So I just think that's interesting. Human nature. Yeah, I've always been a Sony guy myself. I I I prefer the way that they handle reds and blues, and I handle I like the way that, the way they do backlights, at least in older models. Now that everything's OLED, you don't really have to worry about that anymore. Yeah, yeah. Samsung's always just been a little too extreme for me. Even even when you go to standard settings, they seem to be trying a little too hard. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. This episode is brought to you from our friends at Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own. Pace. You can learn the art of negotiation with Chris Voss, space and astronomy from astronaut Chris Hadfield, or scientific thinking with Neil deGrasse Tyson, or even music scoring with Hans Zimmer. Those are some of my favorite classes. But with over 100 classes ranging from world-class instructors, cooking with Gordon Ramsay, pet training, everything that you've wanted to learn is closer than you think. Every masterclass course is broken down into individual lessons that are just about 10 to 15 minutes long. So you can do a lesson on your lunch break or just sneak one in at any time of day or binge an entire course. Every class is super well produced. It looks beautiful. It sounds great. And one of my favorite features is starting one on my phone in the Masterclass app. And you can switch it over into audio only mode and listen to it just like a podcast. But if you're in any kind of freelance work or work in contract negotiations or just have to communicate with any other human being, I highly recommend that class with Chris Voss on negotiation. He was the lead FBI hostage negotiator. I read his book, but this masterclass will teach you everything you need to know about communicating, negotiating, contracts, all that kind of stuff. I can't recommend it enough. You can watch masterclass anywhere you want on iPhone, iPad, on Mac, and Safari. You can watch masterclass anywhere. You can use the app on the iPhone, iPad, or even Apple TV. You can watch it on the web and Safari. And many classes actually have high quality download material. So if you do a cooking class, you can actually get a PDF download that is basically like a high-end cookbook, and that's included with your subscription to Masterclass. So you can get unlimited access to every Masterclass, and as an Apple Insider listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. So go to masterclass.com slash Apple Insider, and that link will be in the show notes as well. You can just click it there, but masterclass.com slash Apple Insider for 15% off Masterclass. Our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode. So the last thing I'll say with iPhone 13 Pro camera, cinematic mode, which has gotten various thoughts. You know, it is portrait mode for video. This was the rumor that came true, but I would say it does work pretty well. I haven't tested it extensively, but John Gruber linked on Daring Fireball this short film called Float. And this person actually made an entire short film just using cinematic mode. And you could really see what it's capable of in that film. You know, it's filmed in daylight, so there's good light, it's bright kind of best case scenario for cinematic mode to function. But I do think this will be a fun feature and people will make, I think, really good looking videos. I was just testing it with objects, which it does work with objects as well. You can tap to focus on something in the foreground or background and it will shift focus. It has all that depth information so you can adjust where it's focusing even after the fact. But I do think this is a fun mode I'm glad Apple included it. And I think people will do some creative stuff with it for sure. I think it's uh, interesting. It, it It is a little annoying that it's only 1080p, but who's really checking these days? It's one of those things where, yeah, forget everything you've read or heard about cinematic mode. All right. Everyone's going to have their opinions. All right. You're going to see some of the guys on Twitter saying, oh, Apple said that uh, this is a professional mode that we talk to professionals about, professional, professional, professional. And it's no, this is a prosumer feature and it's really cool. And anyone you show it to that isn't a super nerd who cares too too openly about how Bokeh appears, they're going to love it. Apple has basically introduced like five new cameras, it, even though they're software cameras, but they, right. they've introduced like five different new methods of capturing video and photos in a way that's that's unique to the iPhone. And it's becoming even more of a status symbol. Like just wait, once people really get like figure this out and realize that it exists, you're going to see this everywhere. I don't expect this to be like the Clips HEP, which sadly just obviously seems to have failed completely yeah it's just it's one of those things where it's a selectable mode right. in the camera app someone's going to accidentally swipe to it one day and be like wow you can you can do this like <laughs> you can do this yeah exactly i will say when you go to the camera app now there are a lot of modes to switch through just looking at it now you have time lapse slow-mo cinematic video photo portrait and pano which awesome that all these modes exist 
I do kind of wish there was, maybe it'll blow my mind with a feature I don't know about yet, but I almost wish there was like a list view or like a quick menu view where you can jump to a mode rather than having to swipe across the screen to switch all these modes. Well, Apple would tell you that's what long press is for. Ah, right. Long press the icon to get straight to the thing you want to do or set up a Siri shortcut and add it to your home screen. <laughs> yeah. Now I will say long pressing the icon, you get selfie, video, portrait, portrait selfie. None of the other modes are there. So... Oh. Of course, whatever is happening on Apple software side, everyone's like, you know, up in arms, like, oh, software quality issues, whatever it's let's just take a moment to pause and remember that we've been in a pandemic for going on two years and they're still somehow making all this and it still isn't totally broken. So kudos like yeah my phone isn't on fire um i saw a few (laughs) new fire phones uh this week (laughs) it's interesting that is true and the iphone 13 i really feel some people are saying, you know, is it an S cycle? Is it, did it warrant the number? You know, I do think these camera improvements, ProMotion on the Pro, better battery life across the lineup, A15 Bionic, Renee Ritchie did a deep dive into the performance of the A15. I do think it's a significant upgrade year. I don't think it's just a meh year. Yeah, you're going to see the people like, oh yeah, it's an S year, there's nothing. But as soon as you look past the surface level, it's insane the amount that they've accomplished. Like they took the iPhone 12 camera, which was voted like across the board from many reviewers as one of the best smartphone cameras in the world and improved it by big numbers. Like the amount of light each sensor can take in is up by double digit percentages. Yeah. The ultra wide camera has autofocus and can take macro shots and introduce a whole new mode of photography and videography to individuals. And you have like this one to two hour longer battery life, yeah. you know, not to mention ProMotion. Like it's it like all of this stuff adds up. And I will say people are not Oh, you know, people don't update every year. We do because we're tech aficionados. People who listen to this podcast may update every year, but most people do not. And my wife, she had the 11. She's had it for two years. And so I updated her from the 11 to the 13. And even when you just go that one year removed, you get a lot of updates. The iPhone 11 non-pro still had an LCD display. Now she has an OLED display with the iPhone 13. And she actually noticed some of that difference. And there's even differences that we never, ever talk about. I asked my wife, she had been using the 13 for a couple of days. And I was like, hey, so what do you notice that's new? And she said something's felt faster, even simple things like texting. But actually, the location of the sleep button on the side, she actually preferred where it is on the iPhone 13 as opposed to the 11. Something, something about where it was on the 11 was directly across from the volume. She kept taking accidental screenshots. And she says it feels better to click and it's in a better position. You know, I tweeted about that, not to be pejorative, but there are people that notice those little things about these iPhones. A lot of times those of us in the tech space just don't even pay any minds to. But when you come from a two-year-old phone, it actually feels significantly different. Yeah. um, My niece says that her friend upgraded from an iPhone 8 to the iPhone 13. (laughs) An astronomical leap in technology. Like just imagine, uh, imagine in what it was that 2016, uh, someone hands you an iPhone 13. You would just pass out. Like it's, it's crazy. The amount of technology that's advanced in the last few years. And while we look at at things year to year, sometimes even month to month, pretty blind to a lot of these technological achievements. And uh, people are out there like, oh, the A14 is only clocking, what, 10% faster? Who cares? And 10% is a huge gain in what is probably the most powerful smartphone chip in existence. Like it, it, it is, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's just one of those things where a little bit of perspective yes. definitely help you understand. Like, no, we're not telling you if you have an iPhone 12 to go out here and buy an iPhone 13 tomorrow, but yeah. if you have the money and you feel like, hey, I really want to try this cool new macro thing, go for it. Like, the, it's Absolutely. a good phone. It's a good upgrade. And don't wait for the 14. Who Whatever rumors may or may not exist, whatever yeah. renders uh, show this pretty cool thing, who knows if it's even going to be that. Right. Don't use that as a purchasing decision. Look at what you have now. Look at what exists in the market. And if that's good enough for you, upgrade. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say, I'll do one better. Your niece has the iPhone 8. My good friend, Nate, he has an iPhone 7 still. Oh, Lord. And I have been imploring him to update for a long time. And so if you have a 12, we may not be telling you to update this year. If you have a 7, looking at you, Nate, it's time to update that thing. 
That'd be such an astronomical leap. My mom has an iPhone 10R, and uh, we're going to get her the 13 once the market clears up a little bit, and I can just walk in a store and grab one. Yes. Once it gets a little bit more cozy there, we're going to take her and get her an iPhone 13, and uh, that's going to be a big jump on its own. I, I think she'll really like it. Yeah. Real quick, just the M1X MacBook Pro, we're all eagerly awaiting the next Apple event where they announce these things. The power adapter for the current 16-inch MacBook Pro, which is over a year old now, the power adapter, which is the 96 watt USB-C brick is out of stock, both Apple online and in a lot of stores. So that might be a sign that it is coming very soon. And so hoping for that, throwing that out there if you're waiting for it. I just wanted to point out that 96 watt USB-C brick is the size of the iPad mini. Like (laughs) it's ancient. Um, Apple really needs to update that thing. So I hope it goes out of stock and Apple figures out what GAN is because uh, gallium nitrate would be amazing for an for the MacBook chargers, and it would be a quarter of the size if they did that. Absolutely. Any third-party charger that I use right now is a GAN charger. That's all I buy because it's just so small, and you can still get like 60 watts or more in a compact size, so love it. Uh, I do want to mention focus modes real quick. This was the feature with iOS 15. I had tweeted that felt a little complicated to try and set these up. I, I did spend some time this past week, set up multiple focus modes. I am liking them. You know, they are very granular with what you can do. But one of the features that I actually learned from Austin Mann in our interview is you can trigger a focus mode on an app launch. And what he does is when he's filming with his iPhone 13 Pro or Pro Max, he has a focus mode that gets triggered when the camera app is opened or when the Halide app is open, which is another camera app that you can kind of have more control over the camera itself on the iPhone. This focus mode triggers when he opens either of those apps. All notifications are silenced. No calls can get through. Like literally nothing can get through when he's in those apps. And when he exits those apps, the focus mode actually shifts off. And that was one of the things where I'd been tweeting with Matthew Casanelli and some other people to figure out how to trigger a focus mode to turn off and what are the best ways to do that. And while this might not work for everyone, you can set up a focus mode where it triggers on an app opening and then will switch that focus mode off when you exit the app. Now, if you're a photographer, videographer, that would work great for the camera, Halide app or other apps like that. But some other ideas is if you're going to edit a video in LumaFusion, let's say on your iPad Pro, or maybe you want to sit down and write or study, maybe you're going to open Safari and you want to just do a bunch of research and not be bothered at that point, you know, program a focus mode where it will be triggered when you open Ulysses for writing or Bear or whatever pages, or maybe even Safari. If you know you're going to be doing research, you can set up a focus mode to get triggered with that. I just thought it was a great way to trigger focus modes. And I had not realized yet that an app launch could trigger it as well. Have you been using focus modes at all, Wes? Oh, yeah. And I would definitely recommend to everyone just go crazy, um, dig in there, work on work on one every day. Uh, You don't have to do it all at once. It can get a little overwhelming. Definitely sit down and just the first thing you should do is make a focus uh, mode for personal time and work time. That's that's what I've done. And uh, and I've also got one for sleep. And basically at a certain time of day. So I get off work at four. I shift from my work focus to my personal focus that changes all of my home screens and all of my devices. My Apple watch watch face automatically shifts to a different watch face useful for uh, different things in that time of day. And then 10 PM, I shift over to the sleep focus, which again, changes all of my uh, home screens and all of my devices. My iPhone gets a little bit more of a health focus screen, less content on it. So I'm not clicking on so many things to try and, you know, scroll Twitter for an hour before bed. It's just really interesting. Um, Once you get all of your devices going on this, it's definitely one of those Apple magic moments, definitely uh, worth investing your time in. Yeah, for sure. And I've set up a bunch. I was trying to do some custom home screens too. Like if I have a day off, switch it into personal mode, like you were saying, and I get a home screen that doesn't have Slack and email and all the work apps on it. So still working on perfecting, triggering those things. So you can set a focus mode to start at a certain time and end at a certain time. It's like right now I have a one day off a week and I schedule a focus mode to enact in the morning and then turn off that evening. And you can do that. So you can schedule focus modes. And again, you can choose specific contacts to still be able to reach out to you, friends and family that you want to be able to call or text you. And you can choose specific apps that still let you send notifications. Like you still want to get text messages, even though you have that kind of focus mode enabled on your off day, you can still enable that individual app plus individual contacts. So it is very cool. I'd love to hear our listeners are using it too. Apple has a mode for focus modes that tries to be intelligent. Like I had this on for 
um, a couple of things uh, on the first few days. This might have gotten better, but it wasn't amazing because it would just be like, oh, you opened uh, Twitter. You're in personal mode now. It's like, no, no, don't don't try to be too smart about it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The time things are definitely the best way to go. If there is one, like if you set up one for gaming, try the intelligent thing because it would be cool if it just learned that every time you open a game app, it would just launch rather than you having to get so super granular and, and reselect your games every single time. Try automations with this too. Because uh, yeah. yeah, like setting up your Apple Watch face with this requires you to use the automations and shortcuts. It it works great. Uh, definitely just really simple, really straightforward. And you can just, like I said, this goes as deep as you want it. And it just r- reminds me of something I wanted to mention earlier. Um, it's just funny to me how complex iOS has gotten over the past five years. And uh, I still see online and in places like Reddit, people saying, you know, Android's just more customizable, more more granular control. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm seeing iOS get these features that are actually useful and more customizable than Android. And I need to probably go buy some Android device like all these other Apple guys have been doing lately, just so I can see the other side again. I haven't owned an Android proper since like 2015. So yes, it's changed, but my understanding is it hasn't changed that much overall. We're still talking about, you know, choosing your widgets on the home screen and having granular settings for certain apps. Yes. Settings for everything, settings overload on Android, but for Apple, it's different. It isn't customize the look of your status bar. It's customize how the phone works at specific times a day for you to make you more productive. And I just find that much more useful personally. I I agree. And I mean, I guess if you still want to use Comic Sans as your font, Android is still your go-to. You can't do that on iOS, but I, I do not struggle with customizations wishing I had more and don't. Yeah. You know, I think the only thing that still bothers me is I wish I could put icons on either side of a home screen without them snapping to the left, but it's really not that big of a deal for me. Yeah, nothing against Android users again, because like I, I came from that place. Like I understand as, as a nerd, like I love the crazy customization. I used to spend hours just searching through all the different launcher options and oh yeah, just going crazy with it. Like just like you know, 2008 MySpace style, just <laughs> changing every little thing I can to make it my own device for sure. And if there are any uh, Android listeners out there, listen. I was an Android user until the iPhone 4, and I rooted those things. I put the Cyanogen mod on there. Like, I did it all. So, and it's, you know, it's fun if you enjoy tweaking stuff like that. But I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm so old that I need bigger font. I'm also old enough where I don't want to have to root my phones. Look, I hated, I switched from the Samsung Galaxy whatever of the time to the iPhone 4, and I hated the thing. Mm. And I went back to Android for a like a cycle. It wasn't very long. But, um, and then Apple came out and, basically said, here's a taller, little bit better phone with, you know, touch, touch ID and all that stuff. And yeah. I jump shift back to the 4S and then I've been with Apple ever since. But, um, I know that feeling of coming to iOS and thinking like, wow, this closed system sucks. I can't do anything. Like I, I just, right, right. I'm just supposed to browse Safari and that's it. Like that, that, that sounds boring, <laughs> but not anymore. But yeah. yeah, it's, it's gotten much better. Yes. And speaking of customizations, I did want to highlight some more extensions that are now available on the iOS Safari and iPadOS Safari. We listed a bunch last week, so you can go back to last week's show notes if you want links to those. But a few more that I've found, and these were actually put together by Mac Stories. I'll put a link to their article in the show notes as well because they listed some of the ones we listed last time, like Momentum and some ad blockers and Amplosion to stop Google AMP pages from loading. Well, it doesn't prevent them from loading. It actually just automatically redirects you to the actual website instead of the AMP version. But a few other extensions that they were listing and I've been checking out, Tweak for Twitter is a Safari extension where if you look at Twitter in the browser, if you use Safari on iPad or iPhone to look at Twitter, this extension actually lets you customize what you want to block. You can block promoted tweets. You can block the news and trending articles that show up on the right side of the Twitter on Safari version. And this extension lets you customize all those things, what you want to see and what you don't. So that's pretty cool. Super Agents is another extension that will automatically dismiss or accept any cookie banner that may show up on a website. Because as you go around, because of the GDPR regulations and all that, there's like cookie banners on pretty much every website you visit now. And this extension will actually just dismiss those automatically. So that's pretty cool. And I'll put links to all these extensions directly in the show notes as well. There's another one called Pipifier, Picture-in-Picture-ifier, 
and this will force videos in picture-in-picture. It works for most videos on your iPad or your iPhone because your iPhone can do picture-in-picture now too. And this will force videos into that picture-in-picture mode, iPad and iPhone. I actually use an extension like this on the Mac called Overpicture. And Overpicture is the same thing where you click a little toolbar icon on the Mac and it will force a video in picture-in-picture even if there's not that option in the video player itself. So those are pretty cool. And finally, Vidimote, V-I-D-I-M-O-T-E. Vidimote is an extension where it actually gives you more controls when you're watching videos in Safari right there in the extensions toolbar on your iPad or iPhone. So if you don't see controls on the video player, like for forwarding or going back 30 seconds, if you don't see a full screen option on the embedded video player that you're looking at in Safari, this Vidimote extension actually will give you all those controls, play, pause, full screen, rewind, or fast forward 30 seconds. It'll give you all those controls right there in the toolbar, and you can control videos that are embedded on websites as you watch it. So that's pretty cool. And you just I saw you just added one here too. So which one is that? So Stop the Madness is a well-known extension that's been around forever, apparently. I've never been able to use it before because I'm an iPad user, but uh, it does a lot of stuff. So a lot of the things that we just mentioned as separate apps, this actually contain this is just a container for several actions. Um, this does the Google AMP redirect thing. This also, this is just a system-wide like tracking blocker type thing stops click jacking in certain apps stops uh the list goes on go, go open the app and read it, it it's a, it's a good value it costs a couple dollars one of the things i've noticed uh just in general use that actually affected me positively is uh for work i tend to have to seo stuff with google and i have to do a google search as much as i hate to when you copy a Google search result, guess what? In regular use, you get that Google slash search slash blog right, right. garbage pile of URL. But with Stop the Madness enabled, it automatically transforms it without you doing anything. You just copy it, you know, as normal. And the copied text is actually the destination URL, which is very handy for me for what I need to do. So just interesting stuff like that. And it does the same thing for uh, any bit.ly links, t.co, stuff like that. You'll automatically get the destination link rather than whatever uh, intermediary link that you get for tracking. So just a very neat little uh, app for that. Very cool. So yeah, listeners, check out those extensions. Let us know if you are using extensions that you really like on iPhone or iPad. Finally, two quick things. The iWork suite, which is pages, numbers, and keynote, had a number of updates this past week. Some updates for collaboration, pivot tables, different kinds of charts you can use. I thought the one really cool feature that they added was actually for Keynote. Keynote is Apple's PowerPoint solution or like Google Slides. I love Keynote. I've used it for years and years. I prefer it to any other presentation software. They've actually added a feature now where you can add a live camera feed inside a slide. So if you're presenting a Keynote presentation and you wanna be able to show the camera on your device so you can actually have a video of you built into the presentation on a slide, you can actually add that live camera feed either in a window on a slide or full screen on a slide. And you can even connect multiple cameras to provide different live video angles, including a live feed from a connected iPhone or iPad. So if you're doing your keynote presentation from an iPad, you're advancing the slide that's connected to a monitor or projector, you can actually have your iPhone set up on a tripod on a tripod and use the camera from your iPhone in a live feed inside the keynote presentation as you're presenting it. So I just thought that was super cool. Would also be useful if you're doing a presentation over Zoom or some kind of teleconference. You can actually show your camera in the middle of the presentation without having to change inputs or anything. You just have it built into keynote. I thought that was an incredible feature. Really cool. Yeah, interesting. I, I I would say that like I'm jealous of the people who get to use this stuff, but I'll, never mind. I'm I would prefer just not ever have to use PowerPoint slides ever again. Very cool features though. Definitely oh, yeah, something cool. that's going to be useful. One other follow-up. Did want to mention that custom email domains seem to be working now in iCloud. I had set up a couple of custom domains to try it out and I was able to set them up properly, but I wasn't able to add a specific email address to those custom domains. Contacted Apple support. They contacted me back a couple of days ago and now I went into the iCloud settings on Safari and I was able to add custom email addresses and those are now available across iCloud Mail, across all my devices. And when you open the Mail app on any of those devices, you can just pick what domain you want to send it from or what custom email address to use. Works great now, and it's all working. So listeners, if you want to try it out, you can do that. I'll be contemplating 
may be moving to iCloud Mail. The five custom domain maximum is something I'll have to kind of decide what domains I want to add to my one account. And if I have to forward some email addresses from my domain provider instead of having it integrated, but great that it works and I was able to set it up. So if you were waiting to do it or waiting to see if it was fixed, it looks to be fixed and you can do that now. Yeah, I am not an email power user and all of this is just uh, foreign language to me. Cool. Uh, <laughs> I I saw that you have to like go buy a domain and manage it. I said, nope, no, thank you. Yeah. I'll just keep using <laughs> Apple's at me.com. I don't have yep. to look professional. You know, I, it's always funny when I tell people my email address at me.com. They're like, what? And it's just like, yep, just take it. Be happy with it. That's right. At me.com. Lastly, I just want to get your thoughts on one thing, Wes, as our final topic for today. I started watching Foundation the Apple TV Plus original series based on the Asimov novels from years and years ago. Two episodes are out. Third one comes out Friday as you listen to this episode. Watch the first two episodes and I think it's a beautiful show. The cinematography is great. I enjoyed watching it. Some people were saying it was boring, but I don't know, maybe it's because I just love that genre of TV show or movie, but I really liked it. I enjoyed it. What did you think, Wes? Definitely picked up a lot of vibes from every piece of sci-fi ever made. Uh, just right. Dune, Star Wars. Uh, if you if you're a heavy reader in that genre, just it's it's strewn about it. I don't know if it's a result of the fact that this inspired so much, or if this is inspired by all the things since it's it's a snake eating its own tail. It doesn't matter. Uh, they've inspired each other, and it's just really cool seeing all that reflected in this show. I've I've watched only the first episode. I'll have seen the second episode by the time you guys listen to this, but um, it's amazing. I, I definitely like. I'm a person who can sit through 2001: A Space Odyssey and not fall asleep. So <laughs> boring is just not on my caliber. All right, like I get it. Right. Like it's very dense. There's a lot of detail, but I will urge people. Don't get caught up on all the small conversations. Don't get caught up on all the jargon. The show's going to be uh, several seasons. You know, they're going to have plenty of time to establish all of this content. Uh, the way this director is obviously seeming to go is just throwing you in there and letting you grab onto what you can. Don't get caught up on that because if you look at the overarching actual story of the two main characters that we were introduced to, yeah. it's very straightforward. It's uh, fish out of water and this character is incredibly smart and is, and is using their intelligence to, to help, you know, create a better future. Not a very difficult story to understand. Just get away from all the technical jargon. You'll be all right. Like, don't let that overwhelm you. Very beautifully shot. I would, there's got to be a website somewhere that knows how much this costs to make. I would hate to know it, but it's just... Like knowing how much morning show, like uh, Apple, there was some rumors about Apple spending millions of dollars to make morning show. This has to be multiplied by like 50 to make this show. Just the effects, the space station, the everything happening, like the world that they've built uh, is just a CGI masterpiece. And knowing that like one frame of a CGI piece of art can cost upwards of hundreds of thousands of dollars. It just, uh, I would hate to even look at that budget sheet, but <laughs> Apple has the money for it. Yeah. See, like I was going to say, like, this is the first like real stepping outside of the realm of reality for Apple, because like out of all the Apple TV plus shows that we have, it's all, you know, reasonably believable, modern shows with, you know, human actors and all of that. Even C was set in a post-apocalyptic future where they can just shoot in grassy fields and call it a day. Right. Uh, this is the first real Apple TV thing that just, it's a full CGI piece of work. They're probably filming in a green room half the time, but man, is it just show Apple's just flexing their money up. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you uh, real quick. And one of and several of the scenes, you see one of the main characters sitting at a table using a tablet device and a oh, stylus. Yes. And yeah. I just wanted to point out that this thing is very eerily reminiscent of an iPad. I know it like, yes, if, if you're in the future, you're going to have tablets that you're drawing on, but even the stylus kind of like is emblematic of the Apple pencil. And I just wanted to point out how <laughs> funny that is. Like, yes. I wonder, I wonder if Apple's going to try to sneak in anything because as far as I can tell, this is supposed to be future humanity. Like, of course, like thousands and thousands of years removed from modern humanity. Uh, right. You know, we've, we've expanded to trillions of people living across the entire galaxy, but uh, just interesting that even then, like, it's just like, wow, there's, there's this little piece of modern, like yes. concept in here. Uh, and you, very neat. you know, it's funny. So it's Dr. Harry Seldon, one of the main characters of the show that is using that tablet like device. I did think that was interesting, but also he has this, no spoilers, but he has this other, like, I don't know, dodecahedron type device that I thought of nano leaf too. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a nano leaf <laughs> thing, you know, projects this floating image in the 
in the room above him and he kind of observes and messes with the mathematical equations in this augmented reality type thing. And like, yes, not only is this future tablet thing pretty interesting, but the fact that he's using an augmented reality device, it's like, hmm, maybe, maybe this is foretelling of Apple's. Yeah, the way they do holograms is very physical. Um, It's just, it's, yes, all of it just feels uh, very grounded and well done and I've, I've written a few articles about foundation leading up to the show a few interviews with uh, goyer the uh, the writer showrunner and um, one of the things i that I, I took away from it that i remembered when watching this episode is that he told his cgi guys the computer guys to make that he wanted to make math look interesting because <laughs> a lot of this show is about math and he wanted to physically represent math in a beautiful way that was captivating and that's where that device came from that does the holographic uh. Uh, equation and he, he he said that that is supposed to be a just a beautiful representation of math because you know no one wants to see equations on a, on a chalkboard so right now it's pretty cool i encourage you listeners you know if you haven't tried it out yet and you have apple tv plus you should try it, you know, especially if that genre is your thing. And there is a companion podcast. Yes, that's right. Yeah, they did that for all mankind, too. Apple's really, they're jamming on both. And we're actually recording this. I didn't even realize this. We're recording this podcast on International Podcast Day, you know, because every day is a day. You know, it's International Bagel Day, Pancake Day, whatever. But today is apparently International Podcast Day. Even Apple Podcast was tweeting about it. So happy International Podcast Day, Wes, and to our listeners. Fun, fun. I love all the made up holidays for uh, our industry. No, <laughs> exactly. Qu- question um, before we go. Are you going to watch, do you care for the problem with Jon Stewart? I've been seeing it everywhere. The first episode is called The Problem with War. So he's going to get real serious right off the bat. But everything I've heard, everything I've seen, there's a podcast to it as well. And they already have like a little, they had a teaser episode earlier and now the full episode's out now. But they had a teaser where the uh, writing room got to spend like basically five minutes making up jokes about how old uh, he is. And <laughs> it, it was just really funny. And there's That's a video funny. version of that on YouTube. But I, I would definitely say if you like John Oliver or anything like that, like I would check it out. I'm going to watch this episode today. I'm going to be listening to that companion podcast. So yeah, it's right up my alley. I think I'm going to try it out too. I am very curious uh, what it's like. And I think I think I enjoy that style. So yeah, I'm going to check it out for sure. Well, listeners, let us know what you've been watching on Apple TV+. Plus. If you got the iPad mini, iPhone 13 or 13 Pro, we'd love to hear about it. You can tweet at Wes and myself. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. If you haven't yet, we would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. The guys, when you guys do that, it helps us in the rankings of technology podcasts. And we're frequently in the top 30 and 40. So we really appreciate you guys doing that. You can also support the show at patreon.com slash Apple Insider. You can get early access to the show in an ad-free version, or you can support us directly in Apple Podcasts for $5 a month. You get an uninterrupted ad-free show and early access as well. And don't forget to check out HomeKit Insider. It's our show where we do HomeKit and smart home products. Andrew O'Hara and I host that one. That comes out every Monday. You'll find a link to the show notes for that as well. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.